Petri Dish is a product of Petri Dish Media, all rights reserved. Petri Dish is a science comedy podcast and should not be used as medical advice. Do not get medical advice from a podcast. And therefore, as a free man, I take pride in the words, Ich bin ein Science! Science! Yes. I know the human being and science can coexist peacefully. This was their finest. Guys, welcome to Petri Dish. I'm Nathan. And I'm Sean. Now, guys, this is a part two episode. We're going to make a drug today. Now, in part one, we spent we didn't actually make a drug. We did all the sexy research things, thousands of man hours, tens of thousands of man hours spent finding out what we even want to make. Yeah, we're trying to find a target, right? And so that usually means a protein or something like that, that we think, you know, maybe cancer cells are making a lot of this protein or it helps cancer cells survive or... You know, it's a protein that viruses need to be able to make more of themselves inside the cell, right? So all of these things are like some kind of target that we want to make a drug to hit that protein to stop it from working, right? But in this episode, uh, there's kind of the other side of the equation, which is where are we finding all of these molecules? Where are we making these molecules? Things like that in order to actually be able to bind to these protein targets and stop their activity. So, okay, guys, we're going to go find those things. We're going to dig through the earth. Yeah. All right, we're going to get our hands a little greedy. We're going to find the dials of destiny. Oh. All right, Phoebe Waller-Bridge. All right. Okay. And some other guy. I can't remember who the co-star is. Yeah, we're that old bastard. This. Old bastard. <laughs> so, so all this and more on this episode of Petri Dish. We're doing great so far. <laughs> So we got our target. Yeah. What do we What do we do now? <laughs> well, so so what kind of um, what kind of work we do to figure out the drug side of things? Yeah. Really depends on what the target is and how we're trying to approach it. Okay? Right. Because sometimes the target that we're thinking about is like a cancer cell. We're like, we want to fuck up these cancer cells. Or the target is like, oh, we know that there's a fungus or a parasite or a bacteria or something. And then we need to like dig in and try to get a little bit more information, right? Mm -hmm. But how you go about screening the molecules really does kind of depend on your starting point, okay? Because you can start to look for a drug without actually having like really detailed mechanistic information. Yeah. You might just be like, oh, I have this fungus. I want to be able to kill it. So you put that fungus in a bunch of dishes, right. and you toss a bunch of shit on there and see what kills the fungus, yeah. right? You know, what's interesting is the reverse basically happened in the 70s, where this company got normal human cells, and it was like, well, how can we give a cancer? And they actually found aspartame that way. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of aspartame in yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that's what... We did an episode on sweeteners, yeah. right? And there was, like, a time where, like, some dude was doing some chemistry, and then he, like... 
went and had a sandwich. Yeah. And like didn't wash his hands in between those two events. Whoops. And then the sandwich was sweet. Yeah. He was like, oh, oh. I just did something. Yeah. <laughs> do, do you think it's going to turn out like with lead? Yeah. We realized that lead was so naughty for you and like just getting rid of lead had all these effects. Same with like iodizing salt or something. Do you think if we got rid of aspartame, all of a sudden cancer rates would drop back down to like the 60s levels or something? And it'd be like, oh no. my god. Well, but it's like 100% cancer. <laughs> I thought that's what we just proved. <laughs> no, that's not going to happen first. Well, what else has made cancer rates? Do you think it's just people living older? And so uh, like they're just more likely to get cancer could, over time? Could be, could be indoor gas stoves. Really? Those are bad for you, could apparently. Be, could be ubiquitous pepperonis, right? Oh, Too yeah. Too much cured meats. A lot of pepperoni in the butthole. Do you think it's just more Australians have skewed results? <laughs> could be there could used to be. be like 10 australians and only one yeah. of them saw a doctor yeah now now everywhere you look there's some bogan running yeah. around he got 30 million extra like skin cancer patients that, are like that, that reminds me everybody. um in high school we were taking ap us history right yeah and the thing about ap us history is that there's an extremely high failure rate on the uh ap exam right and one of the reasons for that, yeah, that it, mandate it. Yeah, in right. some states, it is mandatory for students to take the AP exam, and that's just like not how the AP exam works. Right. So like, it's like one of the Carolinas, if I remember correctly. Yeah. I so mean, who the, knows what it is now? The curve for that AP exam is like completely fucked up. Yeah. Okay. Wait. Wait. What are we doing here? Uh, okay. Yeah. So so okay. So we've we've targeted human cells, normal human cells, with aspartame. Uh, All right. Well, that's not exactly where we were, but that's okay. Um, I took us there. <laughs> uh, so, for example, one thing that we know that cancer cells can do is that... Uh, they metastasize. Yeah, they metastasize. They go, yeah. And so, yes. Like Cthulhu. Well, see... Yeah. yeah, the part of that that was correct was a physical action, and this is this is a podcast, yeah. so nobody knows what you just did. Yeah, they don't um, they don't see my hands. Yeah, exactly. Yeah! <laughs> just imagine what my hands are doing. So the cancer cells, uh, there's a primary to tumor. Yeah, there's a primary tumor where the yes. cancer cells are hanging out, and then they are able to spread out to kind of make colonies mm, in other parts of your like body, sex cults. And in the late Roman Empire. Is it, uh, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. So uh, that can make things like surgery very difficult to do. Because if you have yeah. a single solid primary tumor, surgery is actually a great option yeah. usually. But if it's metastasized to a bunch of other places in your body, if you get rid of that primary tumor, a lot of those other places are going to still have a lot of right. cancer. Going That's on. why it's basically impossible for the Roman Empire to excise the Christian church. Yeah, right. it was everywhere, man. Get rid of one church? Yep. Oh, no. Yep. What's going on over here? Not the first time yeah. that we're going to compare them to cancer in this episode. So, so prepare yourselves, everybody. <laughs> the this Romans. Is, this is hot take corner. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so we know that metastasis is something that cancer cells can do. This, like, up and going to other spots, right? Yeah. Right. So we can ask the question, like, are there drugs that we can invent or discover that help us stop metastasis? Yeah. Right? And to try to figure that out, one of the most direct ways is to set up what's called an assay or a repeatable kind of test. Mm -hmm. Isn't that just like a, a French word for booty? Assay. Mm, look at that assay. It's See, like a Creole term. Is it Creole or is it French? No, I didn't do it right okay. there. Um, <laughs> my Evangeline. There we go. I went to put a sassy on the acid. <laughs> I guess that's good. That's good. You got gumbo in there. That's how I know it's real. <laughs> Um, so to try to develop an assay for this, yes. one such assay could be something like a migration assay where you put cells in one spot yeah. and you try to see, you know, how well they move to another spot. Right. 
And so for cancer cells, you'll put them in one area and maybe it's like separated by like a little like barrier or something that the cancer cells really got to like try to get through. Yeah. And so you, you set them up on side A, they need to get to side B, and you just measure how many cancer cells get to side B. Mm. Okay. Uh, and you can measure that in a lot of different ways. You could genetically engineer the cancer cells so that they glow. Oh. And then you can just look to see how much glowing shit do you have on side B. How hard would it be to get humans to glow? Uh, Not that hard, right? Because you got like, there's like a lot of things in nature that glow. You could make parts of you glow. Yeah. But making all of you glow would actually be pretty tough. What about like, you know where I'm going. The balls. You want your balls to glow? How hard would that be? I'm not saying I want that. I know some people who do want that, but let's not talk about them by name. How hard would it be to get Tom's balls to glow? And, and you're not talking about just like doing something fun like tattooing him with like fluorescent ink or something like that? Because no, no. we could we definitely get that in there. genetically engineer his <laughs> testes. Uh, I Is think it, I could do it. You could do, could do it? Yeah. yeah. Hey, that's what Patreon supporters get. That kind of no. That kind of treatment. Yes, just to remind everyone, <laughs> nothing Nathan says is true. So yeah. like we, we're not actually going to offer that. I thought you were going to say, is it's not mandatory. You can be a Patreon supporter is without testy work. That is also true. So um, another option is you could just set up like a camera. Yeah. And take video of the cancer cells and like watch them heading from one side to another. That's right? boring. Well, sure. But one of the elements of tension in assay design in general is that you need them to be a certain throughput. And what that means is you need to be able to like look at enough conditions at once. Mm. So like, for example, something that is low throughput, maybe you can only test like five different chemicals. Right. Because you are videotaping these cancer cells moving and you can only capture so much video at one time. Right. Right. Um, but in other assays, you might want to be testing way more drugs than that. Like five is not that many. Right. There are some groups of chemicals that you could be using where it's like tens of thousands to like a hundred thousand different drugs. All right. So that throughput part is in contrast to like how much information you're getting out of the assay. Mm -hmm. Like if you have a videotape of cells moving, there's actually a lot of stuff you can learn about the dynamics of how they're moving, how they're like lifting themselves up. There's like extra info you could get. Right. But it might be lower throughput. So there's kind of this natural constraint built in. This is why unpaid interns are important and we need like a lot of them. We need like hundreds of thousands of unpaid interns, right? Well, you, we need Congress to act now. You can just go with what I would consider very lowly paid interns and that's what PhD students are. There you go. So you just have a lot of them. We need that pipeline, right? <laughs> it already exists, but yeah. don't worry about <laughs> yeah. it. You told me there's a lot of burnout though, right? Well, sure. Or is that the burnout? That's the burnout. That's the burnout. Okay. <laughs> That's where it is. Well, as long as we have them for that moment. <laughs> yeah. And then they can bit. go into tech or something. A I feel little like bit everyone... of time. Okay, cool. So so should we take a break now? Yeah, but I mean, just to wrap yeah. up the idea here, what I'm trying to say is that based off of what the target is and what kind of drugs you're going after, because um, drugs can be small molecules, they can be proteins, they can be antibodies, they could be cells. Yeah. You need to think about those things when you develop the actual assay to discover the drug. Right. Because those things are going to come into play. You, you need to design a way to tell that, okay, um, this compound did something and what it did is actually relevant to the treatment or whatever that I want to do. Mm -hmm. Right. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, metastasis is a pretty complex process. There's only so many ways to study it in a dish. Right. Right. And so you need to hope that the assay you set up is like a reasonably appropriate proxy right. for metastasis in the body, right? And so this is actually a place where a lot of drugs uh, do get filtered out, but then a lot of drugs move forward and end up not being useful. Right. Because even though they work well in a dish, there's a lot of reasons why they may not work well 
in a human body. Right. Right. So I, I kind of hit on this last episode, so excuse me for kind of retreading, but how much faster would all this happen if we could just like take a prisoner, like cut them open, but keep them in a sterile room so they're alive the whole time? Pain meds, who cares? You probably don't want it in case it messes Did you it up. talk about this last time? <laughs> <laughs> Hear me out. And you like hooked up cameras and their body metastasizing with cancer. Jesus. How much faster would you get this research done? And how much better would that be? Well, that was really dark. There's, uh, I, well, so, here, let's get rid of the ethical problem. Maybe it's not a prisoner. Maybe well, it's just okay. like a person you so, kidnap. So yes, let, yeah. let's, let's, let's pretend for a second that, that it's not, that it's not, <laughs> yeah, that's a kidnapped person is much better. Yeah. Um, <laughs> then it's morally okay. neutral. Yeah. Let's pretend it's a homunculus, but like essentially has all of the characteristics of a human. And feels um, is what I care about. Oh, uh, like, you want conscious. them to be in pain and stuff. Yeah, I got you. Well, okay. I'm getting to a point. So just, just, just yeah, buy okay, in okay, okay. that it's like cool. So, so, so. In that sense, that would play into the tension that I was talking about earlier between right. throughput yeah. and information. Right. Okay, because I think that that test yeah. would be very informative mm -hmm. in a real world kind of way, yeah, and it'd be fun. But but it would be very low throughput in that there's so much information to take from a single patient right, in that context right, right. that you can't test that many at a time. Right, and so you would still probably need an upfront set of filters. Right, so you would still do in vitro tests. Right, okay, before you went in. Okay, it's just there might be some that you skip because those are not particularly predictive okay. of how they act in this non-human homunculus that we're doing yeah, this no, with. Human. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I mean, I, the point I was getting to, and I guess I, uh, this is actually an inaccurate point then, is like, what I'm wondering is like, you know, people are so mistrustful of science. There's actually so many structures of experimentation that we have designed for ethics, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Like there's all sorts of things that you could imagine human testing would get you so much faster to these things and you could maybe make a utilitarian argument for it. But we make this kind of morally maximalist argument instead. It's like, we're not going to hurt anybody, as few people as possible while we make drugs. And and that, that expands the timeline, the cost of all drug making. But it's, you know, obviously, you know, we think that's good ethically. And it's kind of funny that people have so much mistrust towards this field because like... It's going through so many hoops. Yeah, it is going through a lot of hoops. You know, I, I but this think, is not a good example. Well, th so that's that is true in this context to a certain extent. Um, but I, I would also say that like the same sort of idea actually applies to animal testing. So right. like, so there is a push to end all animal experimentation, right? Especially in things like screening drugs and stuff like that, and being like, okay, uh, let's do in vitro tests, cells in a petri dish, things like that and then hop over animal testing into humans, right? right? And the argument is not that like, using the same tests that we used 50 years ago and then jumping into humans, they're saying, let's develop new tests, things like AI, things like different kinds of modeling right. to sort of predict how it would have acted in a mouse or something, right. and then go into humans. Right. Um, that's all very reasonable, right. I think. And the FDA has put forward things saying like, hey, if you want to try to do this when you're submitting like a drug application, yeah. they're saying to pharma companies, if you want to try to do this without any animal tests, yeah. show us what you got. Yeah. And we'll decide if this is enough. Hey, evidence. that's Joe Biden's FD. You know, if Trump got reelected, it'd be like only human tests. <laughs> okay, so let's let's take a break. Yeah. And when we come back from the break, let's talk about one way that you can source these thousands and thousands and thousands of molecules that exist in the world. Right. Things called drug libraries. Right. Hey Nathan, uh, when was the last time you used a public restroom? 
Dude, I... Never again, man. I just shit in the bushes. Yeah, that sounds like a pretty good idea. Last time I tried to use one, it was in Venice Beach, and it was just like a mountain of syringes in the bowl. D did you poop? Yeah, yeah, but I got the pokey butt. Luckily, you're already addicted to heroin. So, <laughs> yeah. so it's besides the point, really. <laughs> Not a big lifestyle. <laughs> it's thing. kind of a win-win, actually. <laughs> but yeah, man, it, it makes me wish that there was like a Yelp app except for public restrooms. Well, luckily for you, man, we've got a new app we're pitching. And this one, guys, this is going to actually revolutionize your life. It's called Dung Hub. And it's where you can find all the information you need for shitting. Yeah, so we got we got crowdsourced rating on different public restrooms. Because, you know, some of them, some of them are amazing. Some of them have incense, some of them have magazines. You're going to see that in user reviews uh, out of one to five stars. And then other ones have literal shit on the walls. Syringes in the toilet. Those ones, again, you're going to find user reviews. One star, two star. You're going to know which bathrooms to go to and which bathrooms to avoid. It's going to have a waitlist service for the ladies' restroom so that you can go ahead and sign up through the app on the waitlist before you get there so your wait is not as long. They're even starting to work with the industry to put QR codes on all bathroom products so you can actually scan a toilet you really like so that it's something you can install when you're renovating your home. Instructions for how to install a bidet. Ratings for nearby proctologists. It's got everything to do with butts and poop. I'm telling you guys, this is the hub that's going to change your life. The app that's going to revolutionize your anus. It is Dung Hub. Download it. And finally, take that good public shit. Alright. Well, that's our breaky diggy biggy diggy biggy That was a great break. What's a drug library? Yeah. That sounds like a library I want to be in. So, you know, in a lot of Ivy League schools, the library is also something of a drug library. There's like little <laughs> pills of Adderall just like yeah. scattered around the books. Yeah. yeah. And all over all of the tables. Yeah. Okay, you just need to get a lick. Yeah. It's like in the in the name of the rose where like uh, the guy poisoned the librarians by putting arsenic. Yeah. Don't the lick the, the side of the pages yes. in Harvard if you're not ready for like... You will get jacked being up. Being hopped yeah. for like a while. So, um, so let's say you have an assay design. And the assay is such that you could test thousands of chemicals pretty quickly, okay? The next thing to do would be to get thousands of different chemicals. Right, right? suck. And, you know... How uh, laborious is that? It could be a little daunting to have to make it yourself, but luckily you don't have to, okay? okay? So there are several sources that have what are called drug libraries. Yeah. And they're usually, what we're talking about here now, are small molecule drugs. So I'm not talking about antibodies or proteins or yeah. cells or any other kind of drug. Yeah, but I only, are there any of them ethically sourced or vegan? Mm -hmm. I, need, I need chemical compounds that are free range, Sean. Well, chemical compounds that are... Yeah, who makes these big libraries of chemical compounds? Uh, well, so... Are they like industrial byproducts? So some, like... of, some of them are available from the NIH. Um, so the government has right. large compound libraries they where, where they're actually like made from yeah. are like, you know, industrial sites and stuff like that, where they'll pay to like have a bunch of different chemicals made. And stuff. Interesting. And they'll get a bunch of them and put them into some kind of container so that there's a bunch that they can send out to you. Is all there like an example of like a chemical compound that you use for this that I don't know, the random audience member would know? Like what's a good chemical compound? <laughs> Uh, acetaminophen. Okay, okay, I see. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Or like Tylenol. You know it's what I mean? Amazing it's amazing like there's a market for but, but yeah, okay, so, okay, okay, so we got that chemical. All right, we need tens of thousands of them. Yeah. So we contact a library. 
Yeah, and so there are private chemical libraries that pharma companies have, and then there are also publicly available ones. And you can apply and pay a relatively reduced fee Mm -hmm. to be able to get access to a chemical library that has like 80,000 chemicals or something like that. And otherwise, you could imagine if you're a lab, you could call up this pharma company and be like, hey, what's your price for me again? XYZ times 10,000 chemicals. Yeah, yeah. And... Designing a library is actually itself an entire sort of endeavor mm. because you could you could make a library completely randomly. Right. Just be like, all right, this chemical is different from this chemical is different from this chemical. So like, fuck it, all of those chemicals go in. Right. But usually, what drug libraries try yeah. to do is they try to pick one member of each family of drugs. Interesting. And that way, you don't have like a bunch of them that are like pretty close to the same, but they're like slightly tweaked. Mm. Because um, a lot of times in a drug library, what you want to do is you want to get like a good breadth of right. options. And then you can out. narrow in if something works. Right, exactly. Right. So if you start being like, oh, this is sort of a family that seemed to be good. Right. Then you can get a library, a much smaller library. Right. That's like that same backbone with a bunch of little tweaks right. on it. It's like a medieval banquet, right? Is It's like you could just do lemur, chimp, uh, bonobo, right? You could do that. Yeah. But, but what if your guest doesn't eat monkey? Right. Right. You got to mix it up. Yeah. So you should have like a pig, a duck. Get a uh, zebra in there. A zebra. Yes. And a monkey. Yeah. And then once they like a monkey, then you can get all the different types of monkey. Right. You yeah. you you get to the after the monkey after party. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah it's yeah, like yeah. you have the main banquet, yeah. and then you find all the people who love monkey. Yeah. And then you bring them to the other room. Then what's hard is getting to the San Diego Zoo. <laughs> Like right after close, so you gotta hide in a bush. It is difficult with like a burlap. It's been tough for medieval parties. <laughs> they've, they've gotten more difficult. Um, sometimes that is what you're doing is you're going after pre-made stuff that's right. already in libraries that's available out there. But sometimes you gotta make your own chemical. Uh, yeah, or made yourself or collected yourself. Oh. Okay, because some drug discovery works by going to natural sources of small yeah. molecules. This is like the cool kind of job. Sure. Because I've met scientists who are like uber chadly. They have their man bun tied back. Kind of like you. Okay. They're tanned. Kind of like you. Right now for some reason. Yeah. 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 And those people, they're like, they're like, yeah, I'm a scientist. You're like, oh, that's cool. What do you do? He's like, I dive, brother. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I go scuba diving in the Caribbean to try to like get small molecules. I've met a lot of those guys at the bars. They're like, yeah, I work at blah, blah, blah. And you know, I just, I dive, bro. I hate those guys. (laughs) I go to St. Helena, you know, find, find new things, man. Yeah. They live such a good life. (laughs) It's crazy, (laughs) dude. Those assholes. (laughs) I think Um, they make less money in the long run, though. Yeah, but they don't need it. Yeah, that's okay, true. Because they're, they're just fucking hanging dude. out there. They're going to have their signs bungalow. They're sipping on a pina colada. <laughs> uh, what was I about to say? How do you know where to look? I mean, that's what always flabbergasts me. Like, how do you know to be like, I need a small molecule for some esoteric cancer thing. Mm. I'm going to go check out a coral reef. Like, so you, you do not know where to look. Right. You do not. And so most of You're the discoveries guessing? that come from natural sources... Yeah. Uh, there would have been no clear logical connection that would have yeah. led you to do that. Yeah, you just like microdosed a little bit, and then accidentally macrodosed. <laughs> well, so so <laughs> for example, the there, there's there's, the there's an extremely extremely famous and important group of molecules that were discovered because of this bioprospecting slash bio bio piracy. Rapamycin. Rapamycin. It's named after Rapa Nui. Rapami. <laughs> So Sean got that a lot in Italy. Rapa Nui is Easter Island. Okay. And so rapamycin is this kind of medium-sized molecule. It's like a... It's um, 
It's just like cyclic peptide kind of thing. Yeah. And it has this like antifungal property. Mm. And that's probably what it was mainly used for. Right. Uh, in the soil. Because right. this bacteria makes it and just like dumps it out into the soil to like fight off fungus. That's interesting. Um, but it also has pretty profound immune modifying effects wow. in mammals, so, uh, which was not expected. So here's what I don't. Here's the part that I'm missing is like, so I totally buy, like it, it makes a lot of intuitive sense that all sorts of animals would make like, let's say an antifungal, right? Sure, fair sure, enough. Sure. A lot of things hate fungus. Yeah. But how, how do you, first of all, you collect the soil, who finds, who identifies this molecule and then who thinks to use it for something? Yeah, yeah. So the first part, even for the example of rapamycin, the first part was not the same as the second part. Yeah. The first part was actually part of a team of scientists that were like, people are going to start coming to Easter Island and fucking it up. Let's check so this we shit need out. So we yeah. need to like collect soil samples. We need to like... Interesting. We need to like collect plant samples and we need to like uh, actually document what animals are living here and do all kinds of stuff like that. We need we need to get this locked down now yeah. before a bunch of people come in and totally fuck up this environment. Right, right, right. So... A lot of people took things like soil samples, right? And um, a lot of the soil samples were f for the purpose of trying to discover microbial diversity, right? So it was a diversity project. Okay. And as they were doing that diversity project, they got a lot of different bacteria species out mm. of it. And they're like, oh, okay, so this cool bacterium is one that grows in Easter Island. And then later on, a different person was like, oh, out of these different bacteria samples. Some of them actually are doing stuff that, like prevents fungus growth, right? And it's kind of akin to the penicillium mold, kind of you know, a little bit right. lucky right. kind of discovery. Right. Uh, in this case, the person was actually interested in like, do any of these bacteria do anything interesting, yeah. like being antifungal? Interesting. Yeah. I mean, this is one of those practical reasons for conservation because Lord knows we're never going to buy into ethical reasons for conservationism. But like practically, <laughs> you know, you want to conserve all these different biomes because a lot of these, you know, you're going to find some wacky shit being produced out there. Yeah. It is sad that like capitalism goes that deep that like we yeah. literally can't conceive yeah. Of ways to like pitch things besides a capitalist yeah. perspective. But it is true, rapamycin is a kind of molecule. I've worked with rapamycin. Yeah. The structure is weird enough that I don't think anyone would have made it. Like yeah. I don't think it's something that we would have invented. Right. It's too weird. Yeah. It's a cyclic peptide. I don't I don't like know if there's any rational design perspective that really could have predicted that it would work right, the way it does. Right. And so I mean, in fact You're basically letting evolution and natural selection do the work for you. Yeah, 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 and it ends up doing it in a way that, like, like sure, we can come up with small molecules that hit the same target as rapamycin. Yeah. We can do that, but it wouldn't look anything like rapamycin, right. and therefore would not have the same properties as rapamycin. Do you think AI could generate things like that? Like, I know that, you know, computers are interesting for 3D modeling that we wouldn't necessarily come up with on our own immediately, or do you think because AI, we program the AI? they would have difficulty finding these solutions to problems. Yeah, so uh, I think AI could, but I think it is moderately unlikely to, or would have been unlikely to. Right. Now that we know that rapamycin exists... Right, now it's, now it's easy like, okay, peasy. That's something that we can you imagine. You already have the answer to the question. Right. Right. But the point being that like uh, AI and a lot of algorithms and things like that, the solution space 
the solution space for like what molecules are going to work right and bind to shit and stuff like that you can imagine it like a 3d sort of like topographical map there's like mountains and valleys and yeah, stuff like that yeah. and the valleys are places of good drug solutions yeah. okay so you're just looking at a map there's like there's a bunch of mountains there's a bunch of valleys rapamycin sits in a valley somewhere yeah but it may not be the deepest valley it may just be one of several valleys right AI and algorithms in general have a tendency to try to find either the deepest valley or the deepest local valley or yeah. something like that. It actually takes a lot of work to make an algorithm that'll search the entire space for all possible valleys. Like it's just it's right. It's not really the way that they work. And it just spits out forty two. Yeah. Which is like really great. What the fuck kind of drug is that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but rapamycin's a very, very cool drug and we we use it right now and we use derivatives of it now. Right. Like uh, tacrolimus and stuff like that, yeah. and they're very good for their immune yeah. modifying properties. Yeah, you can use them like after uh, an organ transplant. Yeah. On three, one, two, three. Rape Sean. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's just not where my brain is going. The Italian like... version. <laughs> um, Ooh la la! Wow! <laughs> look at look at this young man. <laughs> that's great. So so um, Stacy, you got permission. <laughs> so so within this whole idea of bioprospecting right. or biopiracy, yeah, why is it called that? Uh, it depends on how colonial it is. Like, I like, mean, it's, it, that's kind of weird to. So rap, rapamycin, I don't think would be considered bio uh, biopiracy. Yeah. Uh, what would be an example of biopiracy? Because well, that feels like weird. Because to me, colonization is a human relationship, right? Yeah, and so it's a situation where like a native tribe right. knows that like, oh, leaves of this plant yeah. have certain properties that make it so that we feel better when we have a yeah. hangover or something right and some honky jack is like yeah i'm gonna take this leaf and then i'm gonna extract right. the actual compound right and okay, then i'm going to make a quadrillion dollars patent the compound right. sell the compound make a shitload of money off that compound Fucking and tribe. none of it goes back to them i right? see all right so so like you know thousands of years of knowledge that helped jump start the drug discovery process right. basically gets unrecognized right right process. right so that's the piracy part i right? mean that's kind of the Kind of their fault, isn't it? <laughs> what the fuck? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, um, anyway, so so that's that's where that element of it comes in, and I think that that's a totally reasonable thing to be asking ourselves about, like, uh, what are ways that we can utilize the sort of like shared knowledge and experience of humanity in order to help more human beings, right. while also recognizing the people who had that knowledge. Yeah. You know, and, and tragically, the solution is really simple, right? Which is like, you know, give them some of the money. Sure. But like, we ain't doing that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> we certainly haven't been. Um, uh, it, it, so at what point, Sean, you know, there's this idea in climate circles about just like paying tropical places and third world countries, just giving them money just to conserve their land, right? Mm -hmm. Given the, the inherent economic value of it, we don't want them to exploit that, though. So you pay them to not exploit it, right? Like we already did in a lot of the Western world. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of quibbling over the actual numbers there, right? Because sure. a lot of Western countries don't want to cough it up, right? Sure. At what point do you think we just give up the whole idea and we just invade the capitals of these countries and just put in <laughs> like new colonial dictatorships to force them into permanent poverty so they don't cut down their Amazons? <laughs> 
I don't know why you're asking me. Yeah. <laughs> that is like way outside my wheelhouse. <laughs> Holy shit. Wow. Well, anyway. So, you're dangerous. <laughs> so are we taking a break? Or do we well, I, I, just, I just wanted to say that like. <laughs> this uh, segment was longer than I think we anticipated. Well, no, it's just it, you, you segued a little bit. On the bio piracy element right. of it, into so, piracy to the, to the fact that it's not always just like, oh, I grabbed a soil sample. Right. Sometimes it is like, oh, in Chinese herbal medicine, there yeah. is a treatment that they use for malaria. Right. And at war, there's a shitload of treatments that they use for malaria. Yeah. Or the treatment they use for malaria has like seventeen different ingredients. Right. And then we're like, okay, is there a compound out of these right. that actually is the compound or set of compounds responsible for anti-malarial activity right and then you test it out and then it turns out yes there is right and then you can refine that compound and you can use that further and treat a bunch of people and that is a true story that is something that happens right Right. and many times that's exploitative and sometimes it's not but the point is that uh it's not always just explorers going out there or scientists going out there and like doing fun deep dives sometimes it is also leveraging slash exploiting Things like native knowledge, right. indigenous knowledge, things right. like that. Um, and that's out there. That's okay. that's part of the process, too. Right. But you know, we are men of the West, <laughs> Numenorians. Great. We like rational design. Yeah, Our sure. island is a star. Wow. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Some, some people don't some, know what I'm saying. So, somebody designed that. <laughs> so, okay. Somebody has no clue about the second age. So, <laughs> so let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to come to discuss basically a different take on drug discovery than using libraries. And in a lot of ways, it's a much newer way of doing mm. drug discovery called rational design. Mm. Is this the gift of the Vala? Or the curse? <laughs> <laughs> Life itself! <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> Wait, did you say we're taking a break? Yeah, we're taking a break. <laughs> okay. We need a break. <laughs> the following is an actual advertisement. That's it, Watson! We're not part of this family anymore! We're leaving this place, and we're going to the moon! But it's so far and dangerous. Do we really have to go? We must! We're going to meet the rabbits on the moon! It is commonly known in all of Korea that upon the moon are a pair of rabbits who make rice cakes for the Harvest Moon celebration. Minji, a young girl upset with her family, resolves to leave Earth with her pet dog Watson to join the bunnies amidst the stars. A whimsical riff on Korean folklore and the gentle journey of a young girl through her own feelings across the galaxy to the moon is a beautifully illustrated and warmly told story by Natalie Song Allen. Across the galaxy to the moon is a precious addition to any children's bookshelf. Available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and anywhere else books are sold online. All right, all right, all right. So, yeah, sometimes we could do this lame stuff and pirate natural molecules, but come on, man. We, sometimes we want to just want to make shit. We're rational designers, intelligent designers, if you will. Yeah, so uh, I think if you were to just sit down and be like, okay, so we know that the main problem with this cancer is that it makes this protein, and this protein binds to some molecule... And when it does that, it makes it so that the cancer can live forever. And so we just need to keep that protein from binding to that molecule. Right. Since we know the problem, 
Maybe we can just invent the solution. Yeah, and it's like, okay, well, proteins bind their ligand, the, the molecule that they bind to, in a specific spot. Right. What if we make a drug that just fits into that spot right. and won't ever let go? Okay. Right? And if you have enough knowledge about physics, about biology, about chemistry, mm. you can design, atom by atom, right. the molecules that will fit right. into that spot. Whereas like the last category talked about, you need knowledge of anthropology, of local booze, yeah. of weapons. You, a lot of weapons. And then you could be a bio pirate. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but now we're into, we're into real science. Yeah, and so the ability to do this really hinges on the existence of structures of proteins. Right. Knowledge about how they work, Modeling tools and computers to see how individual yeah. atoms behave Men in structures. So, yeah, a lot of them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, and they gotta be super drugged up. Like the Harkonnen guy and the Atreides guy. Both of them. Yeah. Together to like be able to do Like a guild this. member? You need like all the spice. You're talking about the navigation guild? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, why not? We need to get through space in time for this. They can shit. take you on a fantastic voyage <laughs> into the body, right? Fantastic voyage. So, um,. So this is really a cross-disciplinary endeavor that requires both wet lab work and dry lab work. Okay. You're um, more of a wet lab kind of guy, aren't you? I actually am. Yeah, you are. Yeah, I keep it wet. <laughs> so, sometimes <laughs> rational design is maybe more accurately thought of as rational tweaking, okay, in that you don't always start from scratch. You can, you can kind of hybridize it. You can start right. with a library screen, find a hit that works okay but is kind of shitty or has drawbacks, and then you can tweak it further yeah. using sort of a lot of the knowledge that we've accumulated about chemistry. When you say this is cross-disciplinary, do labs usually just get like, do PhD students have to be learned in all these fields? Or is it more often that a lab hires, I don't know, a couple different people who have different disciplines and they talk to each other? Uh, like, it can, it can happen either way. Uh, I would say that... Um, I had a professor who said that it's much easier to teach a chemist biology than it is to teach a biologist chemistry. Right, because chemistry is more true science-y. And biologists right? are stupid, I think is what he was saying. Yeah, 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 to yeah, me, yeah. a biologist, oh, but it was okay. funny. Because um, math is real truth. And then it's <laughs> physics, chemistry, biology, and then eventually get to like screenwriting. Yeah, and then you're at Jordan Peterson and <laughs> yeah, you're like, what are we doing here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, Yes. So sometimes PhD students will enter into a drug discovery lab, a rational design drug discovery lab, like the Silverman lab at Northwestern. Right. Um, Are you sure where you were at? Uh, I was at Northwestern. Yeah. The Silverman lab was like down the hall. Mm. They literally do rational design of drugs. That's a joke. Are you good at chemistry? I'm okay at chemistry. Nice. But more polymer chemistry. Yeah. I'm not quite as good at small molecule chemistry. I'll do your stoichiometry for you. It just may be wrong sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> great, great. Yeah. We actually did. You you have to do stoichiometry calculations and stuff I, like that. That I is real. I can't promise I'm going to remember the Fahrenheit to Celsius conversion. <laughs> you <laughs> can't promise the, you uh, the thing. The thing about modern science is you can Google shit all you want. Okay, so you can you can just keep that Googled. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> I refuse. So, for example, the Butler and Jihad. I will not rely on machines. Something that can happen is you might do a compound screen and you find a compound that works okay. All right. But when you are looking at its properties, you find that it fails one of the categories of the Lipinski rule of five. For okay. Example, which oh, sounds fun. Yeah. That does sound fine. So, um, the, thou shall not worship God. <laughs> thou shall worship Satan. The <laughs> what are they? The 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 rule of five basically has to do with um. This dude in like 1995, he was working at Pfizer 
and it's too was, recent to have a name. He was he was looking through sort of all of the compounds that successfully got through their phase one clinical trial right. and were moving on to phase two. And when he was looking through that list, compared to a list of all the compounds that they were making in the yeah. drug discovery team, he was like, oh, there's like a common thread here. Mm. One of them is that they're pretty small. They're under what's uh, called Daltons. Daltons is like atomic weight. So mm. one Dalton is like a hydrogen atom. Yeah. They're under 500 Daltons. So like pretty much all of them were that way. Yeah. They have uh, a log P under five. Mm. We talked about logs this morning. <laughs> that is true. That is true. I, I, I forgot that and I did not anticipate it actually coming up in this episode. But you were you were incorrectly drawing a log graph in your brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was yeah, very yeah. good. Yeah. Um, lo- log P Just is... Just imagine a, winter if you don't know how to do logarithms. Imagine it's winter and you need to stack some logs. Right? I mean literal wood logs. Like a good log, not like basil wood, right? And yeah, it... And and you can imagine it gets steep real fast, right? That's that's how a logarithm works. That's, that's not really what a log graph looks just like. Just imagine that. Like you got a log. The log graphs go up and then they flatten. If it's but whatever, it doesn't well, matter. It well, doesn't you got to stop your log. Nothing matters. Cabin. <laughs> Literally nothing matters anymore. Log, log p is called the partition coefficient. It has to do with the yeah. lipophilicity of a of a compound. So right, right, right. how much that compound prefers fatty stuff. Mm. Versus water stuff. So I have a very high lipophilicity. <laughs> yes. You have a high log P value. Yeah, which, that's right. which means that you would be a bad oral bioavailable drug. The other two rules of the Lipinski rule of five is that um, you need to have like below five electron donors or hydrogen bond donors. Yeah. And then like a certain number of acceptors. But like the point is that basically there were these trends in molecules that work well as bioavailable drugs. Yeah. And so one way that you might do rational design is you might take the original compound that worked okay in your screening and then make tweaks so that it follows the rule of five yeah. rules. Yeah. And then it'll be more likely, hopefully, to function well as an actual drug that people take orally. Yeah. You know, and a lot of times people get confused in drug design in terminology between rational design and intelligent design. <laughs> Right, um, you know, because it's branded to be similar on purpose by the church. You should know that intelligent design is not like rational design in its principles. Uh, what happens is at a Catholic institution, they prey on it, right? And then they give drugs based on what they prayed on, right? Yes. Assuming that God designed it, right? So don't, if a drug is labeled intelligently designed, it's not rationally designed. Yeah, they're not the same. Yeah. But both equally true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's beautiful. <laughs> That's a, that was a 6-3 court decision. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So you can do molecular modeling. You can do crystallography, NMR studies, and everything like that to try to figure out, like, oh, this, this drug is binding to this side of this protein. Yeah. But it could fit a little bit better or yeah. something. So then you can make a little tweak. You can swap out a carbon for a nitrogen or something like that. Crystallography sounds hilariously made up. <laughs> that's true that's like that's oh hi shit yeah dude yeah <laughs> that's that's like a form of homeopathic medicine yeah, yeah yeah it does sound like it crystallography actually does have it sort of like wooey woo kind of stuff to it um well so well it's got a wooey woo yeah no because see here's the thing the way that it works is you need to make basically a lattice of the molecule so like 
uh, millions of those molecules, but like organized in a crystal structure. Right. right? So they're all lined up really nicely because you're gonna shine X-rays through. Cool. And you're gonna look at the ways that the X-rays diffract off of those molecules. That's a, that is some. And that's gonna shit. tell you the structure of those molecules, right? Right. But to make a crystal, yeah, that nicely formed, yeah, people have like all kinds of ways of doing it. Right. Like when you go to different labs, they're like. My special technique is to use pickle juice in the crystal making. Are you serious? Yes. Yeah. 100% serious. And so, like, there are all kinds of things where, like, some labs will be like, you only set up crystals to start forming in the first week of the month. Right. Any other week, it's not going to work. Are and you it's just serious? Like, yes. That's so strange. There's, like, all these superstitions because making crystals from these things is actually extremely difficult. Right. And it's really hard to tell what environmental factors matter or not. Yeah. The pickle juice one, I actually kind of believe. I, I kind of buy it. Why? Because in making a crystal, uh, what other ions are around can help organize oh, the crystal. That's interesting. And so I could totally buy that there's like a brand of pickle juice yeah. that like specifically helps with like certain proteins for, to crystallize. First week of the month though, you're a little more skeptical on? I just don't see how that matters. Yeah. But yeah, gravity. some people totally believe that <laughs> shit. Um, or if That's, they don't believe it, they will do it anyway. It is interesting because you always wonder, like, how are there anti-vax scientists or something? You're like, why do you vote <laughs> Trump? You know, and it's, it's, it's just, like, well, it's actually within the cracks of your discipline are all sorts of ways to still be a weirdo. Crystallography is tough. Yeah, crystallography is tough. I'll yeah. just say that. Okay. Um, okay. Anyway, I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, but this is the good juice. The people want to know <laughs> stuff like that. Like, we should do an episode of just lab ghost stories. We should, like, go on Reddit and, like, try to find ghost stories about from labs and just, like, have a good time with that. Labs have many superstitions in them. We I will say. Do labs, labs like, definitely have superstitions. You should reach out to, to lab people and be like, hey, tell me your superstitions. I want to hear that. That's, like, that would be a good episode. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Sure. So, um, so sometimes you are taking the parent drug. You make a tweak. You make, like... You know, like 50 tweaks based off of that parent drug. You test yeah. all of them. And then the ones that work well, you tweak those even further. You do a bunch of tests, right? So you can go through generations from a parent drug down to the final compound, right? Yeah. And the thing is that the activity of that compound when you're just like doing an assay directly on cells is not the only thing you need to worry about for the drug. There are these other properties, the ADME properties, which stand for uh, absorption, distribution, metabolism, and excretion. Mm -hmm. This is all stuff that happens in the body, right? Yeah. It's a question of how well is it absorbed by the body? Where does it go in your body? How is it broken down? How is it removed from your body, right? Mm. All of these things can be changed by changing the structure of the drug. Sure. And so sometimes you make things called prodrugs. Prodrugs only work once they're broken down. Right. So the form that you absorb them is different than the form that actually acts. There's all kinds of fucking tweaks that can happen. Right. All of that is rationally decided upon to try to make the drug that way. Right? Interesting. Okay. And so there's a lot of tweaks that happen that way. It's, it's a very big part of drug discovery and drug design. Okay. But all that stuff was for small molecule drugs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Other drugs. Yeah, and so I do want to mention that like it was much easier to talk about small molecule drugs because right. they are in some ways they're, small. they're conceptually simpler. Yeah. Okay. But uh It's like trying to characterize Liechtenstein versus like Russia. Liechtenstein's so small. <laughs> so you can talk about it so easy. That's great. Right? Like it's culture. <laughs> That's great. Whereas like Russia so big. <laughs> There's so many people. <laughs> I don't know what accent you're doing. Many great scholars feels, feels a little offensive, but it's okay. Deep history. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm worried about it. Um, <laughs> I'm doing a liquid side exit. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's great. 
Nobody knows what that would be anyway. Um, okay. It's probably like Ofendorf. So, so when you are talking, when you were talking about uh, proteins that we're typically trying to drug, usually they have some kind of function. Yeah. A lot of times they're enzymes. Right. And one hopes that they have a function. Yes. I take a lot of placebo drugs. You're, you're right. They, they like all ice have cream. Problems. So the drug comes in, and when a small molecule binds to an enzyme or something like that, there's kind of two different reactions it could either go. It can either increase the activity of an enzyme, mm. and that would, it would be called an agonist. Yeah. Or it can decrease the activity of an enzyme, yeah. and it would be called an antagonist. You're kind of making, uh, you're kind of cupping my balls with your hand gestures right now, and I like it. Grabbing yeah. them balls. <laughs> That's an agonist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, uh, that's when a, I, that's a antagonist. <laughs> um, so, uh, oh, what the fuck was I talking about? Oh, okay. So, but, but the point is, it's, it's like much easier for us to make antagonists. Yeah. And so most drugs out there are ones that are antagonists to enzymes. Right. But let's say that we actually, for this disease, for a particular disease, what we actually need is for an enzyme to work better. Right. Or, in some cases, for an enzyme to exist at all mm. because this person has a genetic disease and they don't make this enzyme. Yeah. That totally happens to some people. For example, there are some, like, sickle cell diseases um, and some kinds of hemophilia and stuff like right. that. Genetic diseases where people are lacking uh, a functional copy of a gene. Right. In that case, it's really hard to make a small molecule that's going to, like... Do anything that helps in right. this situation. You can't just take a pill of those genes in dried form. Yeah, probably that, not. That At least sucks. not right now. Not right now. That's an idea that might happen? Uh, like oral gene therapy? Yeah, sure. It's, That's I'm, cool. There's people that are How thinking about it. How would that work? Uh, you, would, you would need it to be in some kind of form that as it hydrates, it can get across the intestinal barrier. Oh. And then hopefully distribute to wherever it needs to go. Wow. But what if the cells that need the gene therapy yeah. are the cells in your intestinal lining? Right. That's kind of easier, right? Yeah, there you go. That might be the best way to deliver gene therapy to your intestinal lining. That's cool. Um, and so your cell could just get a copy of the gene and just use it? You need to design the what's called the vector, the delivery system. Right, right, you right. You need to design it, hopefully, so that it integrates into the genome. Wow. Or hangs out, like, outside your DNA, but, like, stays there stably. Wow. Um, uh, that does that's sound hard. very hard to do. Okay, well, anyway. But... Point is, all of these things fall under the category of gene therapy treatments, yeah. where the drug is some kind of way of delivering this gene, right? And that is an entire field where the discovery process and the design process are completely different from small mm. molecules, right? Like, that's just the, from the outset, you need to have the genetic knowledge to say, like, this is the gene that's missing that's causing the disease, Cool, right? But once you have that knowledge, certain elements of the process are much easier, hmm. right? You're not trying to, like, tweak a molecule to be able to bind to a protein. You're just like, okay, well, and here's the fucking gene. Like, at this point, we've sequenced enough DNA. We know what the gene looks like. Right. So you have that part. That's How already nailed down. How hard is it down. to make a gene? Because you got to, like, I mean, that's a lot of atoms, right? Uh, yeah, but it's not that hard. Okay. It's not that hard. We, we have a lot of good ways of making those now. Just give me, like, an example. Like, I'm just having a hard time picturing, like, how you literally make a gene. Yeah, so you can basically build on the A, T, Cs, and Gs on one at a time, if you need okay. to. Um, <laughs> what do you... Because, like, you can't just use tweezers, right? Like, like how do you do that? Yeah, like, so you basically make it so that... Because um, the way that 
DNA and RNA work, mm -hmm. right, is that they, they have a direction to their chain. They're like a chain of guys strung along, right, right? right? And the chain has a direction. It has what's called a three prime and a five prime. Okay. So what you can do is you have your starting scaffold yeah. or something, something that's like bound to some plastic or something like that. Right. And it has a little five prime spot available. Mm -hmm. And then you know the first letter you need is an A. So you have a you have a jar of adenosines, wow. adenosine triphosphates, but that they maybe have a little cap on their five prime side. Okay. So they can't just add more onto the five prime. There's a cap there. Right. But their three prime is available. You just toss that on to your scaffold. Okay. They all bind up. You wash away any extra A's that didn't bind. Okay. You treat it so that their cap falls off. Right. And now it's available for the next letter you pour on. Okay. And you can build them. When we one say pour, we talk, I mean, I'm, I'm going to sound like a real lady. It's like a powder. Like, okay. Okay. Wow. You just like dump it in. Wow. I mean, you, you usually you dissolve it in a liquid first, but you like, it is a powder. Wow. You, you can have powders of these like adenosines and stuff That's like nuts. that. nuts. How do you make the powder? Uh, you, well, like chemistry wise? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. So you can chemically synthesize them. They're, they're not terribly complicated to make. Man, what the fuck? I guess yeah. that makes sense because our body has a lot of it, so. Yeah. If it was really that hard, yeah. probably wouldn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's yeah, we, we have we have like basically steps of chemicals that you can add together. To That's be able to so make bonkers. Them. Who invented the industrial process of making fucking adenosine? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, honestly, the very earliest ones were probably not chemically synthesized. It's probably originally an Amazonian tribe. Well, I think probably <laughs> what happened was like, because everything uses them, right? Right. So you could have grown a huge vat of bacteria. Yeah. And then just like put them in a blender. Right. Blended them up. Right. And then Which is using like centrifuge well, just do, or something. Uh, if you, it's actually in the last episode we talked about it. Chromatography yeah. right, is a right. way to separate things based off of properties. Right. And adenosine, drip cysteine. That through. Yeah, you just drip it through. Wow. They they are a specific size. They have a specific charge. That's so crazy. So you can use that to separate them from everybody else. There's almost institutional knowledge behind science. Yeah, and a lot of it's in the background because, like, literally, I I just buy nucleotides. Right. So I I just purchase them. Right. And people, there are labs that like literally have uh, machines that will print out DNA for you. Mm. You just like program in like, this is the sequence I want. Yeah. And then it has like a robot with the jars already built into the machine. Right. And it's just like, it'll add in some A and then do the wash and everything. And then right. it'll add in some C and do the wash and stuff wow, like that. Wow, dude. That's um, crazy. So let's imagine the uh, world went through light Armageddon. Okay. Like climate change, you know, we go from 7 billion to 100 million over the course of like five years or something. Uh-huh. Okay, a lot of people are dead, right? Yep. All right. Um, how much science could even happen when it gets scaled back so much? Like, do you, could you imagine like a monastery lab where like there's like six monks and their job is to like churn out uh nucleotides is that is that at all plausible or would would science basically cease to exist entirely it would slow down dramatically it would probably go trees in terms of pace yeah because the it's there is a very interconnected and complex industrial ecosystem that provides us all of the shit required to do the science that we do right now right and we would it, it would turn us back a lot. Yeah, it would be very hard right. to to progress science very much. We wouldn't have new flu vaccines every year, would we? <laughs> no, 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 we would not. But could be very we difficult. keep synthesizing like malarial vaccines or something? Uh, I, I mean, 
if we went down to like a hundred million people, there's going to be a lot of factories that don't have anybody who knows how to do anything. Right. Like, right. I'm not sure we'd be doing any of that stuff. Right, right, right. right. That's like not very many people. That's not like That's something... a third of the U.S. population. So that's not like, it's not like the sort of thing that you could read about it and over a lifetime accrue the skills to do that, like without that human... It's just you need you need other supplies too, right, right? Right, right. Like there's no one factory that makes all of the shit required to do science. Right. This is across like a bunch of different factories all over the world. Right. Using raw materials that are the output of all kinds of industries. Right. right. Like like a lot of chemical synthesis is is from the petrochemical in, uh, industry. Like I don't know how many oil rigs are going to be functional. Right. If we go from 7 billion people to 100 million people. Right? right. I just don't know how many of any of those supply lines are going to be continuing. So right. we might be fucked, dude. Yeah, that's okay. I'm but the, the nowadays, like literally uh, when I want some DNA, I go onto a website. Like I go to a company and I will type in the string of characters On I the want. the dark web. No. No, just kidding. Yeah. No, on regular ass <laughs> web. Yeah. And then I can just put in an order. And then usually in like a few days, they'll send me... Little uh, lyophilized, little like freeze dried vials of DNA. Wow. And I just add water and then use it. Boom. All right. Yeah. So oh, cool. But the point is that actually, you know, there are now FDA approved gene therapy treatments. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is not just science fiction stuff. Like it is literally out there and people are getting treated for genetic disorders with gene therapy treatments. Mm. Uh, and then, you know, there's, there's other cool stuff like CRISPR, right? Which is a way of correcting small mutations or breaking the expression of genes. We had CRISPR episodes a couple of months ago. There was a company that filed their CRISPR treatment for sickle cell disease to the FDA for approval. Yeah. Based off of some clinical trial results. That would be the first CRISPR drug, um, that would be out there. And considering the fact that CRISPR was sort of first used in a lab to edit DNA like a decade ago, yeah, a decade is pretty fast for taking a new technology and then bringing it to the clinic. Right. So there's a lot of advancements that are happening in drug discovery and drug design that are outside of the small molecule space that are very, very exciting. Mm. Um, but the, they require a very different set of experimentation and optimization and everything. Okay. It's all different stuff. Very sexy. Yeah, dude. All right, guys. Well, now you know how to make a drug. Yeah, you can go out and do it. Yeah. You do it. All right. All right. So, look, we should thank Stacy Song, our sound lord and engineer. Thank you, Stacy. Thank you, Sean. Whoa. Well. And then, look, we Sean's got... Sean's birthday was yesterday. It was two days ago. Something. It was two days ago. Yes. But it's okay. Yeah. Everybody, it's okay. <laughs> All right, I turned 36. Oh. See, the funny thing about turning 36, 36 is kind of a big year because... I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> 36 means fucking nothing. It means Nobody cares me. about 36. Nah, dude. You made it. Dad, Dad was like saying something like, 36, uh, half my age. And then he was like, wait a second. <laughs> That's not right. <laughs> he just like literally fall, <laughs> forgot how to multiply by two. Yeah, hey, me too. Anyway, so uh, well, thank you guys for listening. How old is Dad? Is he 62? I don't know how old Dad is, man. Okay. What is time? That's good. It's a flat circle. We have an email address. It's petridishpod at gmail.com. Yeah. We have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash petridish. Yeah. We're going to be back next week. I don't know what the topic is yet. You got to do lab superstitions. I, I don't have, that's not enough time to gather uh, okay, the lab okay, superstitions. Okay. I need more time than that. Should but, we do underground pollination? There's probably not enough on it since like we just discovered the only plant that does that or something. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah, we'll figure something out. There's a, there's a protein like... called clotho. Okay. That apparently makes it so that old monkeys remember stuff better. Oh. Okay. And it's got a cool name. Clotho. Clotho. Sounds like an awful superhero. 
Yeah, it's also I think a Greek goddess. Oh, interesting. What maybe one a of the memory ones or doing, something? doing the weaving, oh, one of the, the, oh. the life strand kind of. Oh, that's kind of cool. Um, anyway, yeah, I feel like I had like six ideas like this morning. I can't remember what they were though. That's good. Yeah, <laughs> that's how we run it here at Petri Dish. All right, everyone. We'll see you next time. Bye <laughs> bye. 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 Da 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 da